Second Timothy chapter three. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And for such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into houses, households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Jannes and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved uh, concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch and Iconium at Lystra what persecutions I endured. And out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, very well-known verses. And from these verses, I want to share three things with you. We have, first of all, the source of Scripture, where it came from, and the practical use of Scripture. And it's always important to remember that about Scripture. It has practical use, and then the purpose of Scripture. So first, the source of Scripture. Before any serious study of Scripture, we need to know, of course, its source. Where did it come from? When we know the source of Scripture, that will also tell us something about its reliability. As to its source, well, that is revealed in the first words of verse 16. All Scripture is god breathe and it's crucial to take note that it is all scripture is god breathe so the source of scripture is none other than god himself it comes from god from his innermost being so it is breathed out and surely that's a clear sign isn't it? that it's god given 
Scripture has the divine imprimatur that was a seal used in official documents to say this is the real thing. Scripture has the divine seal of approval because it's God's word. When you read the scriptures, God speaks to you from the scriptures. And the outcome of this is that all scripture is totally reliable. It is just as much the word of God as were the Ten Commandments written on tablets of stone so long, long ago. And a very significant verse, verse 21 of Second Peter chapter 1, we read these words. Listen how significant they are. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. It doesn't come from men. But men spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Bible is the word of God. He speaks to us through what is written there. Notice the crucial statement. The men spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And it's his presence in the preaching of the word of God. It's so crucially vital. Absolutely crucially vital. Psalm 119, of course, is not only the longest psalm, it is also one that almost exclusively refers to the word of God to the law. And in verse 140, we have these words, Your promises have been thoroughly tested and your servant loves him. And how many of us here could say exactly the same? Couldn't we? We could add our testimony to that. We have proved the promises of God. There's no lady talking to her pastor one day, and she had her Bible open, and he noticed besides some words, the letters TP, and he said, what does that mean? Well, she said, it's a promise, and that means tested and proved. I have proved it for myself. And many of us here can say the same thing, can't we? Notice in both verses, your promises, your word. See, that's what's stressed over and over again. The words are the word of God. We sometimes say in conversation, you can take my word for it, meaning. You can believe, you can trust what I'm saying. So with the Bible, you can take it as God's word. You can take God's word for it. So what's the origin of scripture? The origin of scripture is simply God himself. And for that very reason, it's not surprising that the Bible comes under attack so often. Because the devil doesn't like it. Right at the Garden of Eden. He said to Adam, did God really say you shouldn't do that? So the scriptures are absolutely reliable because they come from God himself. Take God's word for it. Now having then considered the origin of scripture, we now look at its practical uses. Notice what it says, and is useful for. The Bible is not merely a book of promises and poetry and parables. It is those things, of course. 
but it is to be used and applied to life. In fact, every time you come here, every time you hear the word God preached here, or you're sharing it, you should be asking yourself, now how does all that apply to me? What do I do with this? You certainly are not here, I hope, just simply to hear the words and that's all, and they're nice. Whatever, no, you're meant to apply them to your life. In the Old Testament, there's that wonderful book, the book of Proverbs. And I have enjoyed reading it over and over again recently because it is such a sensible, wise book. In the second verse of chapter 1, we read concerning this book, it is for the attaining of wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined life. And the book of Proverbs gives wonderful advice on all aspects of life. Some of it's a bit humorous, don't you know? Don't go to your neighbour too often to greet him or he'll get a bit tired of you. It's a very human thing, isn't it? It's concerns and structures, full of instruction on home life, on work, relationships, as I've said, with your neighbours, sowing crops, yeah, even building your house, bringing up children, all those things are included in the book of Proverbs. Look, your, get your fields ready first, then build your house, it says. I commend you the book of Proverbs. And the same is true of the New Testament. To give but one example, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that great chapter of love, but it's not romantic love, not at all, or sentimentality. Paul demonstrates love practically. It's not envious. It is not impatient, does not harbor grudges, it always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So there's no marks of mere sentimentality in terms of that love. Just practical realism. Listen to what it says about love. It is patient. Does not harbor grudges, always trusts, always hopes. Or what about Paul's remedy for that universal complaint, anxiety? Verse 8 of Philippians 4, Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything. Then, having said that, well, he goes on to say how to deal with anxiety. Bring your anxieties to God by prayer accompanied by thanksgiving this is practical isn't it don't be anxious about anything but it doesn't stop there he says bring your anxieties to God by prayer and accompanied with thanksgiving instead of focusing on your anxiety focus on the almighty not for nothing as he called the Almighty. Your anxieties might seem big, but God is infinitely bigger than any of our anxieties. 
our anxieties are real. And I want to say here, because it's important to say so, why we should try not to have anxiety. We don't need to feel guilty if we do have anxieties, because it's part of our human temperament and natures. You have to keep a good balance in these things. Mm. And it's crucial to remember that. We're people, we're human, we get tired, we suffer physical problems, and they affect our minds. But remember, whatever size your anxiety is, God is far bigger than that. In the 14th chapter of John, verse 6, we read these words of Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What is more practical than to know what is the way? What is truth and life? And Jesus says, I am those things. So it's all objective, centered in Christ, the Son of God. So the practical use of the scriptures to produce sanctification. So Jesus said, John 17, verse 17, praying had great high priestly prayer, praying his Lord's prayer, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Notice the stress constantly on scripture, reliable, trustworthy. So a practical use of scripture is to produce sanctification. That is a holy life. And it is. As we use scripture and what it teaches that it impacts on our lives. You, many of you here will agree to that. I'm not saying anything out of the ordinary when I say that. And it's for that reason that we have to apply scripture to our daily living. See the emphasis again, to our daily living. You can't escape it. Scripture is meant to be practical and not merely theoretical. So likewise, James chapter 1 verse 22 says, don't merely listen to the word, what? Do what it says. Do what it says. So what about the purpose of Scripture then? so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So then, you see, if you're a conscientious student of Scripture, you will be thoroughly equipped for every service of God. Of course, that only applies if you want to serve God. Now, it's true that these words were, of course, originally written to Paul's young friend, Timothy. But the principles that are stated here are for any believer, for every believer. For is it not a natural thing? Surely as believers we will want to serve God. To serve God does not require us to be what is sometimes called full-time service. Warren and I were brought up in a background that we were never allowed to forget that you're called to serve. It was constantly driven into us. And sometimes some people felt guilty if they were not called to be a minister or a missionary or whatever. But service of God is more than 
that it satisfies. To serve God does not require us to be in full-time service. We can serve God in everyday realities of life. For instance, what about being a father? What about being a mother? Well, what about being a son or a daughter? These things are real. We can serve God by serving on one another as we care for each other in love. And how lovely that is, isn't it? That's the beauty of fellowship. That's something the world doesn't know anything about. The riches of fellowship, of caring for one another. It's one of the advantages, tiny advantage we have. We're small in number, but we all know one another. And of course, most of you here know one another. And you can care for one another. That's real, that's life. Now notice what the text says, for every good work. Notice that. For every good work, but no specific works mentioned. Do you remember the words of uh, Jesus in Mark 9, 41? I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. In other words, listen to this. The simple act of giving someone a cup of cold water is an act of service. It's a good work. We are not saved by good works, but good works are a sign that we are saved. Far too often in the past, too many evangelicals got worked up about good works. If it were not so that we're called to good works, why do we need to be equipped for every good work? Now, with regard to being thoroughly equipped, included in that is attitude. That crucial fact, attitude. In other words, how do we serve? Is it cheerfully or with resentment? It's not only a cheerful giver the Lord loves, but a cheerful servant as well. So then, the scriptures of the handbook of the Christian life, here it is, the handbook of the Christian life. I've often used the illustration when talking to children, that almost every new thing you buy watching on television comes with a book of instructions, because the maker knows best how to use it. And this is God's greatest book of instructions for us the people. And Sandy, you see all around us every day of our lives a sad situation when humanity doesn't follow the maker's book of instructions. No wonder there's problems. So then the scriptures in the handbook of the Christian life, they come to us from God himself and are the only sure, reliable guide. Feelings can never be a guide to anything. They're so unreliable. And certainly, they are not. Feelings are never a guide as to what God would have us to do. How often a pastor has been presented by somebody who said, the Lord has told me. Oh, that always sounds so spiritual. Then you say, well, how did he tell you? And often the answer is, 
rather strange, not very clear. So then, let me ask you this in closing. If you're doing O levels or A levels in your knowledge of Scripture, how well would you do? A week ago, what happened? A level results. Whoa. Our second grandson had to be dragged out of bed to go to school to get his results. When he got them, he wasn't particularly impressed. He did exceptionally well, but it didn't worry. He went back to bed. <laughs> That's just the way he is. What I said is that well, he's not going to he's not going to likely suffer severe heart attack for all the stress. But let's face it. So. In your knowledge of the scriptures, if you're in your A-levels, how well would you do, especially in your practicals? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this book set before us this evening. We thank you for it. It's so precious to us. In many ways, Lord, it's like the anvil that wears out the hammers. The anvil remains. Your word has come under many attacks, but it remains, and we rejoice that we can trust it completely. And we thank you for the way it guides and directs us. And we pray you remember all who bring the word here week by week, and those who teach in Sunday school, that they may be helped by your Holy Spirit for Christ.